Hello and welcome to Splatter Matters, the place where, well, splatter matters. I'm Rick. I'm Jackie. And we're going to be talking about some gore and some horror today. How are you doing today, Jackie? I'm doing all right. How about you, Rick? I'm hanging in there. Yeah. I can't complain. Uh, things are going good. Uh, I just renewed my Shutter subscription, so I, I don't know why I got rid of it. Yeah, that's my first point exactly. So but, good decisions. Uh, yes, I decided to renew, I, and I've just been getting a crazy horror fix. Yeah. What What uh What are some movies that are standing out to you right now? Well, it's funny you should ask. I just watched a really good one called Haunt. Really? Yeah. It's produced by Elon. Eli Roth, not too familiar with the directors, uh, but it's basically a slasher film that takes place inside a haunted house. And not like a ghost haunted house, but more like a fun house kind of thing. Really? Yeah, and I will tell you, there's a lot of nice imagery. When was it made? It was made, I don't know, it came out this year, I think. Okay, Yeah, good. kind of a new release. It's, yeah, it's, a, shutter, though, it's a Shutter yeah. exclusive. Cool. It was good. I'll tell you, uh, these crazy killer clowns. Really? Yeah. When they take their clown masks off, it's even it's even worse underneath. I'm not going to say too much, but That's cool. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, nice, good acting, believe it or not. You know, I try to shy away. I get a little worried with college kids <laughs> movies that <laughs> can understand that. movies that take place with a group of friends from college. But everyone, you know, acted really good, and actually, I actually like the characters, which also is kind of rare. Cool. I, you really need to like for me to be into a, a horror film. I really need to care about the characters. I really wanted these kids to get out. Really? I really wanted him to get out. And I liked him. You know, the jock, the frat boy kind of type. He wasn't, you know, just like some douchebag. I mean, he, he was, it, it was a good character. Yeah, they, complex, all, they all were really good. Being. Yeah, so I really cared about the characters. The killers were outrageously awesome, like sinister and creepy. And it's uh, definitely worth a watch. So uh, Haunt on Shudder. I highly recommend it. Oh, wow, you're selling me. What are we going to be talking about today? Well, it's funny that you mentioned kind of complex characters. We're going to be watching a movie that has pretty in-depth and complex characters in it. It's called Mandy. Oh, Mandy, yeah. A lot to talk about with mm -hmm. this one. It's uh, written by Panos Cosmatos, also directed by him, and he wrote this with a friend, Aaron Stewart on. Panos started writing this kind of around 2008. He describes it as just a process kind of adding on and it evolved into what we see on film today. It's it's cool. It's a companion piece to his first movie. This is his second movie ever made. It's a companion piece, excuse me, to his first called Beyond the Black Rainbow. And honestly, yeah. Yeah. I, I tried. Yeah, I, we both I, it was did. a little a little too introspective for me. I, I made it it's about an hour and thirty minutes. I made it an hour in. Yeah. I definitely enjoyed Mandy a heck of a lot more. Yeah, I agree. He describes the companionship between the two as beyond the black, excuse me, beyond the black rainbow as kind of an inhale of all the emotions of loss, revenge, sadness. And like Rick mentioned, very introspective. You're watching a lot of introspective thought in characters. So nothing's really going on, but kind of your imagination of what the emotions that they're thinking as opposed to mandy it's an exhale of and boy oh, yeah. does it exhale yeah oh yeah it's it's cool it's um nice, he, yeah nice little fact uh the film was produced by specter vision i love this company so i love I. I love elijah wood yeah so do I. I i believe it's the main people of that are him and honestly some other guy that i'm not sure who it is i listened to a a interview with those two done by last podcast on the left and i can't think of his name either but i don't know but elijah wood huge horror fan and that's kind of it i don't 
imagine that to be a thing. I don't know why. Yeah. Little Frodo. Yeah. He was, <laughs> no, he little, was Frodo, right? Yeah, little Frodo. Uh, yeah, huge horror fan. And he kind of, uh, I know he wants to bring a lot of horror back. Yeah. And I'm glad we have Spectre Vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did, I forget what year it was now, a few years ago, the Maniac remake. Mm-hmm. Wasn't he the He was the star? Maniac. Yeah. Yeah, and a uh, remake of a brutal 70s slasher film. It's pretty It's pretty brutal to watch. Uh, again, to again, Tom Savini at his prime doing his Tom Savini thing. Just gruesome, realistic special effects. And just, you kind of need a shower after you watch that movie. Really? That's so yeah, the Elijah Wood remake, really well done. Uh, Alexander Aja, I'm not sure if I'm saying that name right. Uh, he's a, a big director in the French extremism front. He did High Tension, things like that. Uh, yeah, the Maniac remake, it's all from the POV of Elijah Wood, the, the main character. That's cool. So when he's chasing the girl, it's like you're chasing the girl. That's cool. And the only time you see him is reflections. You see him in uh, reflection in a car, in the mirror, what? Uh, things like that. So yeah, they're doing some really oh. inter- interesting things at Spectre Vision. They are. I know that they're doing, like you mentioned, a uh, foreign, a lot of foreign horror, and even besides that, from the research I've done on Mandy and Panos, he really. He has nothing bad to say about Spectre Vision. He mentions that they protected him and his his image of what he wanted Mandy to be. He never felt like he had to compromise on the image that he wanted this movie to be. And that's actually what people kind of praise Panos for having is he he knows what he wanted Mandy to look like and he knows the story that he wanted to tell and he knows exactly how he wanted to tell it. Uh, fun fact, did you know that Elijah Wood was actually the one to hook Nicolas Cage up with the script? I did. Uh, they were working on a, a film together, according to Cage. I think it was uh, called An Army of One or something like that. And when Cage originally read the script, he was interested in playing, or, well, he was interested, he obviously wanted to play Red, the main character, mm-hmm. but Cosmatos had him in mind for Jeremiah. Who uh, we'll we'll get into him, yeah. but he com- turns into he's kind of the cult leader of the group, antagonist and, uh, of the story. Cage fought to play the protagonist yeah. of Red. It was cool. It's cool because it's a lot more than just Nicolas Cage wanting to play the hero. He mentions how he felt that he didn't have the emotional context or the life experience to be able to play a good villain as Jeremiah Sand. He felt, on the other hand, that he would be able to portray Red's feelings of loss and revenge a lot better. Hmm. And lucky for us that it ended up being so. It is, but it's interesting that Cage would have a hard time playing a, a lunatic narcissist. It's kind of <laughs> weird. I don't understand <laughs> oh, Every that, Every interview I would watch, watch him in, he seems like a kind of a serious guy, but his Hollywood wardrobe, I loved it, like chrome gold with leather pants almost he still all time like elvis <laughs> yeah. i never really thought too hard on nicholas cage and it's funny because i know so many people who hate on nicholas well that's cage. the main reason why i shied away from mandy in the really? first place he's just been doing a lot of kind of direct-to-video stuff to yeah to pay the it's, bills yeah exactly seemed. i mean he was in some real so yeah. it was nice to see how i enjoyed him in this very much and he he did a great job Oh, yeah. No, I feel like this is one of, if not for me, I haven't seen all Nicolas Cage films, but if 
probably one of the best performances I've ever seen him at. It is. It's kind of subdued when it needs to be and just batshit Nicolas Cage when it ha- when it needs to be as well. So, Well, I know Nicolas Cage, not only was it kind of Elijah Wood hooking him up into this movie, but he was... Nicholas Cage was already a huge fan of Pano, Panos Cosmatos's uh, first movie, Beyond the Black Rainbow. So I think that really helped grease the wheels and him wanting to be involved in the project. Well, the film premiered at the 2018 Sundance Film Festival. Yeah, that's cool. And then it began a limited theatrical release and was released to video on demand. It's currently available on Shudder. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little fun fact, Cosmatos, uh, Panos Cosmatos, the director, is the son of director George P. Cosmatos. Uh, he did a lot of 80s action films. He did Rambo First Blood Part Two and Cobra, <laughs> both with uh, Sylvester Stallone and uh, my favorite Western, Tombstone, with Val Kilmer and Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. And this film is largely inspired by the grief by Cosmatos dealing with the loss of his father. I'm not exactly sure when he died. I think it was both parents. I think in at least one of the interviews I watched him in, it was, and that again started with Beyond the Black Rainbow was just an an illustration of loss and mm-hmm. the loss that he felt. And one last fun fact before we get going here, uh, the film has won several awards. Uh, the only ones that I noted here are the 2019 Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, okay, which are a thing <laughs> yearly. I got to get my Fango fix on, you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> I won Best Actor, uh, Nicolas Cage, of course, Best Director, Panos Cosmatos, Best Makeup Effects, Best Score, which is, it is a good score, pretty hypnotic, mm-hmm. kind of trance-like almost, the... and uh, Best Supporting Actor, Linus Roach. So Jackie, are you ready to break this down? I think I am. All right, let's get our yeah. man, let's get our Mandy on. All right, let's do this. So the film opens with a quote, and it's when I die, bury me deep, lay two speakers at my feet, wrap some headphones around my head and rock and roll me when I'm dead. Now, did you know that this these are the last words of Douglas Roberts, uh, a man in Texas convicted of kidnapping, robbing and murder? What year? He was oh he was executed in two thousand five. Really? Because I know Panos is this is set in nineteen eighty three. So is his other Beyond the Black Rainbow, and that was a big question. Why? What happened to you in nineteen eighty three? What was so bad about that year? Mm -hmm. And it's like he goes nothing. It was just another year for me. (laughs) What's interesting? He said he started writing it. He wrote Beyond the Black Rainbow and Mandy around at the same time. He wrote them at the same time as each other, and he said he started writing it 10 years ago, so that would have been about 2007. Yeah. So the man was executed in 2005, so Hmm. it inspired him somewhere. Yeah. It's a funny quote, too, because this movie could be kind of seen as a rock horror opera, and I think Panos even mentions and describes it as a revenge rock opera. Well, I have a theory on the film as well. I believe... Well, I believe it's about Satanism in the music industry. Um, okay. Yeah. That's I A little bit. Yeah, I could totally see that. She wears satanic music industry t shirts throughout the film. And the one thing I picked up on, on the second watch, Jeremiah, that did you get that that was his record that yes. he made? So he was yes. a he's a recording he was a recording artist. Yes, exactly. That's why I totally believe it. It reminds me of Manson and yeah. kind of like satanic panic of like the 1980s. The 80s. Yeah. All right, Rick. I think we're I think we're getting onto something I here. W- I don't know. 
No, Just the thought. Yeah, it's a totally good point. Both of these characters, Red and Mandy, they live together in kind of the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's a life of solitude. There's, yeah. there's the two of them. Yeah, but you can tell that they've both had a life before. And I think they're they're using this new, maybe new, but they're using each other as comfort, this new solitary life as comfort for kind of healing each other for maybe past... Somewhat, yeah, almost seems like an escape. Life traumas, yeah. Like they're trying to escape. Yeah, I like... I mean, Panos creates characters. Com- like, complex characters. Well, he, what he does so uh, effectively in this, he creates an entire world. Yes, yes. So much to the point where you don't even know, is this Earth? Is this some type of alternate reality? Exactly. Is it a different planet? Uh, a reality there's... like our own, but not exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So the movie is set up in three, kind of three acts. Yes. Uh, with three separate title cards. The first one is The Shadow Mountains, 1983 AD. Give me any film with title cards and little kind of, what's the word I'm thinking of? Kind of like a chapter title. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, like chapters. I love everything about it. Very novel-like. Yes. I love yes. that about Tarantino type Exactly. Stuff. I think about that. Wes Anderson. So Nicolas Cage starts off with kind of a really weird joke. That's his intro to his wife after not seeing her for a very long time. He says, knock, knock. She says, who's there? He says, Eric Estrada. She says, Eric Estrada who? And he says, Eric Estrada from Chips. Kind of weird. Yeah, it is off-colored. But they also seem like two pretty off-colored people. I like all the scenes of intimacy between the two because they're very kind of wholesome. They are. They don't say much. Yeah, they don't say much. It's just two people who really are enjoying the company of the other. It just seems very day-to-day things. Nothing out of the ordinary seems to be going on. They're just, you know, it seems like, yeah, they often will go to the lake and they often go fishing or enjoy the nature. They often kind of lay together. Or I love when they're watching TV together and they're eating their meal. It totally seems like something they do every night, (laughs) just as couples do. So Mandy is reading a book throughout the opening act of the film, and it's called Seeker of the Serpent's Eye by Lenora Tor. Is this a real book? I I don't think so. I I don't know. I didn't quite look it up. It seems to be uh, like a dark fantasy book. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. And she's wearing the Motley Crue with the pentagram, the 80s Motley Crue shirt with the pentagram on it. Again. A comment on Satanism in the music industry. In the music industry. The Illuminati. It's real. It is real. It is real. I think so. <laughs> you know, I was at a party once. And oh, was... I gotta, I gotta evaluate that Super Bowl last night. I gotta look into it. Really? Have you I've... heard about you know the Super Bowl and the Illuminati messages and things like that? No. Okay. But I'm sure you'll update me on that. I'm... Oh yeah. Is it through commercials? Commercials, but a lot of time during the halftime show, there's a lot of symbolism. I was on that kick years ago. I haven't watched any videos lately. Like uh, chaos magic and doing rituals yes, in the government. Yes. That's what I'm getting into oh, right Ma- now. The Madonna one was huge. It blew my mind. <laughs> it blew my mind. So Mandy is walking through the woods, reading her book. Again, another badass band shirt, all in black. Again, a woman near and dear to my own heart and smoking a cigarette. <laughs> A Black Sabbath shirt this time. Oh, Black Sabbath. But the coloring. Oh, this is his... Okay, this is Jeremiah's main goon. 
right here. And the, his eyes are the ones that really throw me off the most. Yes, Brother Swan. Brother Swan. Brother Swan is driving a van down uh, little the dirt road that Mandy is uh, mm-hmm. walk, walking. Looks, down. Probably walking. Looks like she's walking home from work. Mm. And Jeremiah mm-hmm. is suddenly taken with her. He notices her. He needs her. He has to have her. I think, what is his name? Linus uh, Roach. I don't know if I'm saying his mm-hmm. last name right, yeah. but... I think he does an amazing job playing Jeremiah. He does. He's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. He played Thomas Wayne in Batman Begins. <laughs> That's so funny. And I knew he's the kind of guy, he looked familiar to me throughout watching this, and I couldn't quite place where he was from, but he's been around forever. I love how they just ended that first kind of chapter. It stopped. Mandy was almost out of walking out of the frame, and you see her face as she's staring back at Jeremiah. And what's the new chapter's name? With well, the... uh, we begin the second act or yeah. chapter, I mm-hmm. like to call it, uh, with Children of the New Dawn, Yeah, the title card. And I can only imagine that this is the name of their little cult. Yeah. It is so clear, especially in the little cult, of Jeremiah's favorites and his least favorites. I mean, the person who I think is probably his biggest follower and fan and totally believes anything he's going to say is, what's this woman's name? It's the older woman they in the They never group. give a name for yeah. the, I call her creepy old lady. Yeah, it's a creepy old lady. And she's creepy because it's just, number one, Jeremiah is totally up his own butt. And it's funny, it's, it's not funny, but it's really interesting because it's not just a bad guy. He has... The, a thought process that you can see through scenes and how it kind of progresses through the film. I know a big thing is the male ego and kind of the horrors of the male ego. And that's mm. what I think Jeremiah and Linus really plays well. Oh, he does great. I mean, he's just so full of himself and it's just he's spewing all these like ridiculous things about the Messiah and how he's the Messiah and it just weird stuff. And it's just he believes it so much and... But he's also a human being where he gets kind of offended or you you kind of step on his kind of frail ego and he just goes off the walls about it. The weird creepy lady is on her hands and knees like, what can I do for you? Oh, she would, do, re- she would do anything for him. Anything. And he's like, get away from me. Well, You're old news. He's telling her that he's obsessed with Mandy, mm-hmm. uh, he, who he's seen um, walking along the dirt path. Just once. And he told her that... He feels naked without her. Um, uh, she is clearly he. Jeremiah is not. Does not sugarcoat anything when he's like, "No, you're not what I want." You're. He basically calls her stupid for like anything she tries to do to make him happy. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the complete narcissism. Yeah. But I think it's interesting that the men in the cult that he favors more are as the older, the older man. Because it totally makes sense. Like, of course I'm going to favor a younger woman. He treats the young boys in the cult like trash because they are dumb. Well, he actually sacrificed. Did you yeah. notice that he sacrifices the fat one? Yes, yes. Well, I mean, well, even here he's telling uh, Brother Swan, Jeremiah's telling Swan uh, to go get the girl mm-hmm. that he needs her. And Brother Swan is obviously saying, I'll do anything for you. Uh, Jeremiah gives him, it looks like a sort of petrified lava rock. Oh, yeah. And whenever they show an artifact of the rock or later on the dagger, uh, it's there's flashing green lights all really? around. Really? Yeah. I didn't notice this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he tells him, you know what to do. Uh, and he tells him to offer up the porker as a sacrifice. The fat kid who actually, he looks like the kid from Bad Santa. <laughs> 
maybe we should look more into that. Maybe same actor? Mm. Question mark. <laughs> so the creepy old lady visits Mandy at her her mm. job, which looks to be working at like a local little gas station general store. God, probably the only general store type with of place. like within miles. And the old lady brings up the book. I'm not sure, but Mandy tells her that they stay uh, down on the Crystal Lake. And I don't know if that's a Friday the 13th reference or not. I might be digging too much into that, but... Really? Isn't Friday the 13th? Is that at Crystal Lake? Yeah. What? Oh, yeah. Camp Crystal Lake. Come on, that cannot be a coincidence. Probably not. But the lady says, I'll see you later. Like, real creepy. The lady always has a creepy look on her face. So, Brother Swan and Mullet Head... I call him Mullethead because <laughs> yeah. they never, he looks not quite all mentally there. And no. he has a really terrible homemade kind of mullet going. Uh, they're sitting uh, in a van outside Nick Cage's house. Is this the rock that Jeremiah gave him? Yes, okay. that is the rock. Looks like petrified lava. It does. I'd use it to scrub my feet with it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice exfoliation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, Brother Swan blows into the rock a few times and he gets back in the van. And Mullet Head says, now what do we do? And, uh, well, Brother Swan says, now we wait. Mm-hmm. Wow, what is this emotional response you think we're getting from Swan? Because right now we're seeing that the bikers have now arrived. And Swan is overcome with emotion, tears in his eyes. He uh, almost, he worships them. Or it, I don't think, it doesn't look like fear. No, but intense, like and reverence almost. It does look, it's reverence. Mm-hmm. Oh, how would you describe this motorcycle gang get up? Okay, these gang, it re- they remind me of the Cenobites from Hellraiser. Yes. Pinhead. Yes. yes. Chatter, uh, all the rest. This is, I think, absolutely post-apocalyptic motorcycle crazy gang. It, ha- it also yeah, it has a Mad Max feel yes. to it, yes. for sure. This is a pretty heavy, like, psychedelic gore kind of revenge movie. And so that's, I think, the premise of these bikers. They're kind of off. They're off the grid, number one. They're in the middle of nowhere. They're crazy. And it's because they kind of were given... A bad batch. bad bad On purpose, a on, bad batch. Well, of yeah. Uh, as, he gives him a jar of some kind of thick liquid yeah, to drink it's from. Yeah, it looks like sludge. Brother, Brother Swan gives it to him. And I think that might be the remnants of the Bad Batch that they got. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but we find out a little further on uh, from uh, a character called Carruthers, played by Bill Duke from Predator. Uh, he tells them that they were drug couriers for this uh, mm-hmm. chemist, yeah. uh, the acid maker. And for some reason, he... he he didn't like them, so he made up a crazy batch, and uh, the they bikers never, have they've yeah. never been the same again. The Straight turned them into some demon bikers. Yeah. They cut to a great red-lit silhouette shot of the demon bikers. Who are they? They're called the Black Skulls, we come to mm-hmm. find out. They show a shot, a silhouette, red-lit-from-behind shot of them standing on top of the mountain overlooking uh, Nicholas Cage's house, mm-hmm. and it's a very, very nice long shot. I like how before it, it was just red Nicholas Cage's character just smoking a cigarette and kind of looking out at the woods, kind of like With kind a of sense, trying to see, yeah, a like sense something's... of foreboding. Mm-hmm. So we're in uh, Mandy and Red's room, and this strobe light effect is in full effect, but it's all of a sudden, so the Black Skull gang is in their house, along with Brother Swan and the Mouth Breather. So clearly they're here to probably take Mandy. 
oh, and you see them both being forced on the ground and they're just like looking at each other. Paralyzed. Yes. No emotion. Maybe a little fear. Fear? I think it's fear. So the Black Skulls also take the poor bad Santa looking kid mm-hmm. and take him off. That is the sacrifice. What do you? What are your thoughts on the younger girl in this cult? To me, she seems not 100% on board with it. Mm-hmm. Almost uh, kind of like a brainwashed victim at this point. Maybe new to the cult. I'm kind of stuck between brainwashed and also kind of just scared and going along with it to stay alive. A little bit of that, too. Yeah, a little bit of that, but not totally, because it also seems like she is kind of on, you know what I mean? It's a weird, it's weird. So this is when Mandy is tied up in the kitchen with the young girl in the cult, in the crazy old lady in the cult, and they're about to drug her. Oh, yeah, they drop a nice old drop of acid right in the eyeball. If someone held me against my will and then gave me an hallucinogen, that is what horror to me is made of. So after the dropper in the eye, uh, what the creepy old lady refers to as the cherry on top, it's a huge, giant-looking bug of some sort with a huge stinger, and they have it with a a, a pair of tweezers, and they sting Mandy right in the side of the neck with it. And I have no idea what the heck that's supposed to be. Oh, I think it's even weirder, because they keep it in, like, a jar of gelat... Like, I don't know how... Something to keep it alive. Yeah. It looks like formaldehyde or something. I don't know, but I'm assuming there's some kind of crazy drug that this bug exudes. Yeah, the toxins in it. We get a a, a close-up of Mandy's face, and her pupils are just super dilated, completely black. Yes. No more blue. (laughs) And she's being taken down a hallway, and uh, the effects of the LSD are kicking in. Yeah, and you can see that through the picture oh, yeah. on the on the screen. We're getting some nice after effects, some trails, yeah, uh, some crazy reds and purples and blues. Trails is because again, there is no solid line, and it's kind of her body, like everything's bleeding into the next movement. So Jeremiah is now talking to Mandy. Well, he's about to introduce her to his music. And this reminds me of Charlie Manson and how Charlie Manson did the whole music thing and tried to be a famous musician. I will say, however, I didn't think Charlie Manson's music was as bad as this Jeremiah Sands music. I don't think I've ever heard it. I mean, it's not going to like... You're not gonna be like oh, Where did God. you hear... You can Where? hear it on the internet. Oh, really? Yeah, I remember I was, it was like in high school and I was in this boy's car and he was like, guess who this is? And I was like, I don't know. He goes, it was Charlie Manson. It was just like, you know, nothing special. Wow. Yeah, he was real tight with uh, Brian the Beach Williams. Boys? Brian Williams. Yeah. He was. This, Jeremiah could very, uh, uh, very much be based on Manson, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Manson was a turkey in his own right. This is one of my favorite responses that Mandy, I think this is the best response Mandy could have given this whole spiel from Jeremiah. Just like, I can't imagine. Number one, she's tripping balls and you're just hearing this guy talk up his own butt. So she responds by laughing menacingly in his face. It really affects him. He kind of freaks out because someone's laughing at him. Someone's questioning what he, you know, what he believes he is the chosen one. 
And so he responds by like screaming at everyone else in the room too, like, "Don't you dare look at me! Don't look at me!" Well, he's embarrassed. He he offers himself to her basically yeah. full frontal. This nude scene was it totally was a plot point. It's it a valid plot point. It is. I'm yeah. yeah. It, so I'm he, fine with yeah. it. It's very important to the story. Yeah, like you said, he's putting himself out there, yeah. full and, and, frontal and, nude. And when she laughs at him and mocks him mm-hmm. uh, and and sends him into a fit of rage, uh, it totally makes sense. It really I does. I think it, what really throws me off, I don't know if throws me off, but he believes what he's saying. Oh, yeah. He believes it 1,000%. And that's, I think, really scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, another crazy uh, scene in the film is when they have Cage tied up and Jeremiah tells him uh, uh, that you and that little whore think you know what love is. I'll show you love. And he has Lucy play Russian roulette. Mm-hmm. And this is the kind of... she does it. Yeah, she does it. But this is also a scene where that's when I kind of questioned... Why is she there? Kind of what are her motives? Because when she's when she's doing when she's kind of putting the gun up to her head, it seems like she's hesitant, very oh, yeah. hesitant. She's not. You can tell she's not completely blindly facing this. Like, oh, this is love. I love him so much. She seems afraid. She's she's brainwashed. Yeah. So Brother Swan pulls out a long kind of dagger blade and he calls it the tainted blade of the pale knight straight (laughs) straight from the abyssal lair and again there's flashing green lights around it like there were when he pulled out the lava rock wow oh my god and they stab um red nicholas cage's character and it's a he takes a lot of damage he takes yeah that's a thing he takes a lot of damage in this film and it's a straight revenge. I mean, I won't say just on one, on the first top layer, I would call this a revenge film. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's multi-layered. Very, oh, very multi-layered. And that's why uh, that's why it works so well for yeah. me. I really didn't know if I was going to like this or not. I can't remember. I came to work and I was like, you have to watch Mandy. Like, I okay, think you're going to like Mandy. It's a Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> They've been crap. Uh, yeah, this they actually, have this got Cage back in good standing with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, even here, where he's tied up uh, with barbed wire, uh, wrapped through his mouth, around his arms, uh, a really great performance, subdued. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's got a nice control. I mean, he does eventually go full Cage. <laughs> I love that. But uh, it, it, he's really solid performance. I like one line in particular when Jeremiah is kind of tormenting uh, Red. I'm not going to call him Red. I'm going to call him Cage, Nicholas Cage. Yeah. When he's tormenting Nicholas Cage uh, and uh, he, he tells him that they wasted the chemist's finest on your whore. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty brutal. He also says the cleansing power of fire cannot be reasoned with. While they're dumping gasoline on Nicolas Cage's wife, who is tied up and wrapped in a kind of a bag. Yeah, and they have her hang. Is it a burlap sack? It looks like it. And they have her uh, hanging from a tree. So they're getting ready to light her up. Uh, which, which they do. Yeah, Brother Swan does. And actually, the line that Brother Swan says is one of my favorites. He goes, uh, the bigger the whore, the, the brighter the flame. All while Cage is tied up watching his partner 
being burned alive in front of his eyes in front of his it's, freaking it's eyes. a gut it's a gut-wrenching scene you can see it in cage's performance it's yeah. i like how his his scream is silent i don't know and at that's first, what i meant about subdued his yeah. performance yeah uh it's very internal uh until well we'll get <laughs> to that it's but, not. <laughs> until, but the bathroom uh scene is kind of where he comes to realization with everything and lets it all out yeah oh yeah Someone's holding her up while she's burning alive, and, and you can see the bag. Like this, there's a body in there moving, and, and they're all gathered around, and they all have this look of just evil glee, glee yeah. on their face, raised. All except for Lucy. Lucy doesn't seem to be quite sure of it. Uh, she seems like the newest member of the group. She's not totally into it. I, I think she's a brainwashed girl. Really? I really do. Yeah. Now, creepy old lady is just, she thinks it's the best thing that she's ever seen. Jeremiah's, I think he's kind of heartbroken by it in a way because he just, I think he held a lot to what he felt Mandy owed him or yeah, he was, what they could have. He believed she called out to him. Yeah. And then she totally mocked him. And so I turned, think this is a huge disappointment for him. She turned him into a joke. Yeah. They're all leaving after burning her and they just leave. It's Nicholas interesting Cage when they leave. Up. When they leave him tied up, it kind of feels like they're leaving a little like a party. It just feels like they're leaving a party. Oh. They're nonchalantly just yes. kind of leaving a, a little party at a friend's house. Is this um, Mandy and Red's place, or is this one of theirs? That's that's Mandy. Mandy and yeah, Red's they place. they yeah. they go to their house mm-hmm. and do it there. Nicholas Cage appears to be in complete shock. He's in shock at the moment. I. Because he's watching them leave. Why do you think they let him live? That's a good... I have no idea. So the rest of the movie could happen? Yeah. So, the, But I also think maybe... I just don't think they feel like he's a contender. It, he's anyone that they well, need to worry about. Yeah, Jeremiah calls him a pig, says yeah. he has no soul. He's, he's just a piece of meat. This is what gets me with the... His red's hands tied up over his head with the barbed wire, but... Since the the blood makes it really slippery. It's a bit so lubricated. Can, yeah, it's lubricated with his own blood. Uh, I can't. Cage manages to escape his uh, bindings. While being cross-eyed the entire time. You can imagine the pain that having barbed wire wrapped around you would be. It would just be unbearable. <laughs> what do you think about Nicolas Cage's hair in this movie? I, I think he has a heck of a hair piece. <laughs> I really don't know. Did you ever see online the photo of Nicolas Cage with like a bird on his head? It's like his hairpiece. No. Uh, so Nicolas Cage gets free and he's basically grieving over his wife's ashes uh, and she's gone. Yeah, very kind of loose form of what's left. And she eventually, it blows away in the wind. <laughs> the wind. Oh, God, the imagery. And a uh, great performance by Cage. Again, I can't say that enough. I really like him in this. Do you know that during filming, before it kind of began, Nicolas Cage and Linus Roach were like, hey, should we get a beer or whatever? And they both agreed. No, I think during filming we should... St- stay completely separate from one yeah, another. You hear about that a lot from people who play uh like villains yeah. and things. I think it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Not to get confused with like if you have nice feelings toward this person and on camera you have to act 
a completely certain way. Well, did you hear what Jared Leto did, Leto did when he played Joker in that piece of crap Suicide Squad no. movie? What did he do? He like tormented the cast members. He sent like dead. Excuse me. He mailed them um, dead animals and things in the mail. Yeah, they weren't too bad. He evidently he's like straight method. So he he got into it and did all that. Yeah, they weren't too happy about it. I wouldn't. Isn't he starting his own cult right now, Jared Leto? Is he? I, I heard oh, it's I'm like have to look it up. Yeah, Ooh, he would have been a good Jeremiah. I do like Jared Leto. I do think he's. Yeah. So when Nicolas Cage goes back into his house after his wife's murder, <laughs> there is a commercial playing on TV, and it's a mac and cheese commercial. Uh, for a cheddar goblin mac and cheese, and I'm pretty sure that that was just made for the film. I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that either. I was wondering that. I was cheddar like, goblin. <laughs> cheddar goblin. And I think the 80s show that they're watching was made. I could be wrong, but I, it looks like it was just made for this film as well. No, that would it just that would make more sense. I give me a film with animation, little shorts in it. Yes, whenever Cage mm-hmm. dreams or has visions of his wife. Uh, they're all animated, and uh, they're they're pretty wild. Uh, the first one, she's kind of turns around, and she's a rotting corpse decaying right in front of his eyes. Yeah, no, no eyes. Instead of eyes, it looks like a static sc- screen. Fabulous. Okay, this is, I believe, kind of this scene. After he wakes up from this dream, he's going into the bathroom, and I think this is the beginning of revenge rampage almost yeah cage goes into the bathroom and it's almost like everything that just happened finally hits him and he grabs a bottle of vodka and chugs it and it looks painful he's he's trying to get it down you know if if you ever chugged vodka before i've heard from people before that it's quite pain could be it can burn it can burn a little bit (laughs) yeah Um, i'm not gonna say who told me that but uh it looks painful he is trying to get it down and i wouldn't be surprised if that's actually vodka that he is consuming Um, at the moment I would be surprised, Rick. Really? Look yeah. at how much he chugs. It's Nick Cage. It's Nick Cage who's Isn't also it? in a human body. Okay, I, again, you're totally right. It doesn't, I mean, look, you can tell he's like bracing his body every time he swallows the it substance. Could be, it could be acting, but I, I, it probably is. I'm just saying I could see. Uh, the human it, being cannot consume this much alcohol in this little time. But he lets out just all that pain and agony and shrieks. Uh, this is his almost coming to acceptance of what just happened. I think it's super haunting how Mandy's like nightgown is just... The bathroom looks like how they left it. It, it works. It's yeah. a great cage over-the-top scene, but, uh, you know, sometimes... Uh, yeah, I'm sure you've seen the clips on YouTube and, and all that. Sometimes they could be a little ridiculous, but that one is really, it works. So Nick Cage goes to see Carruthers. Carruthers. Uh, it's played by Bill Duke, uh, as I said before, from Predator and a bunch of other stuff. Um, he says, I've come for the Reaper. And apparently the Reaper is a badass crossbow. Mm-hmm. And uh, Carruthers, you know, asks him what he wants it for, and Cage says he's going hunting. Well, he even says before he goes, "Oh, it's it's been a while." Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why Carruthers has it in the first place. That's what I'm saying. These are little moments where you realize that was he... I don't believe Nicholas Cage's life was always as peaceful as what we were shown with him and Mandy. Was he 
getting away, trying to get away from it with uh, the new with Mandy? Uh, I think I think not away, but healing. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. Away. I really do. Because why would Carruthers have uh, the Reaper? Not just the Reaper, mobile? but then proceeds to tell Cage, "Look up top on on the right there." Yeah. He he crafts. Uh, he says he's crafted these uh, arrows that will split through bone and flesh like a fat kid eat through cake. Yeah. So it's like you know what I mean. And so he asks, "So what do you you know? Can I ask what are you going to do with this?" And Lucas Cage goes, "I'm going to go hunting." He goes, "Oh, what are you hunting for?" And then Cage kind of breaks down and. This is when he mentions, I, I don't know, I don't says, know. Yeah, I'm going for Jesus and freaks. They, they were Jesus freaks. And Carruthers yeah. says, uh, I didn't know they were in season. Yeah, that was yeah he does. Nicholas's Cage, Nicholas Cage's kind of character kind of swallowing. He mentions how he doesn't understand. It didn't really make sense. There was muscle there that was separate, and there were just these crazy, crazy guys. And as he's he's explaining to him, uh, his friend. What the bikers were like, and his friends like, oh, well, those are the what are they called? The black the, yeah, skulls. the black skulls. They're around the area, and he tells Cage of the story that we mentioned earlier that they were possible drug runners for this LSD guy, and they went crazy after one batch, yeah. uh, one bad batch. And there were rumors of uh, murder truckers and prostitutes yeah. and and things. He says he saw them one time, and they just looked batshit crazy. Oh, oh no, he said they looked like they were in pain, and the crazy thing is, yeah. They freaking enjoyed it. Yeah. So now that Cage has his uh, Reaper, it's time to make another weapon. He forges, that. I believe that's what it's called, when you make something mm-hmm. out of steel. Mm-hmm. He melts steel and forges. Uh, it looks like the Grim Reaper's kind of, uh, what are they called? A synth? A synth? A scythe? 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 I don't know, but I've heard someone refer to it as a battle axe. It's like this big silver crazy battle axe that he makes himself and i love that he, he you know kind of forged it himself it reminds me of an old you know kind of conan the barbarian oh yeah an old fantasy flick this is a really cool weapon it was actually the one of the original designs was from a friend of panos's uh, his name was jeffrey hallidays i don't know if i'm saying this wrong but he was originally part of the the original design process but it's really cool because this is the weapon itself is, okay, so they refer to it, Panos refers to it, he calls it the Beast. And it's based on the design of the letter F in the band, the Celtic Frost band logo. This is a quote from Panos. He says, I wanted it to feel almost like a manifestation of Red's insanity. Instead of just a weapon, it was like a crystallized object of his grief. So Cage, uh, we're into the third act. Uh, we see the Mandy title card, which is interesting because it's almost... Like the title uh, of the movie is shown about an hour into it. I like that. Um, and uh, so Cage has, uh, he's taken Carruthers' advice and he has found uh, the bikers cruising along the road and uh, he shoots one of their tires out, tries to run him over, but uh, it doesn't work too well. He actually ends up flipping the truck and then uh, he's basically captured uh, oh, yeah. captured by uh, the Black Skulls. But I think he's okay with flipping the car and as long as if it's okay if we both go as long as i take you down with me type of thinking it's he essentially almost has superhuman powers at this point yeah because no matter what happens to him all the damage he takes uh he yeah he's he's not affected by it he doesn't die he gets he gets quite a bit of damage 
I mean, even before this, he this I mean, he has a very substantial knife wound to his abdomen. But he's captured now, like Rick mentioned. He's tied up in looks like just a really gross bathroom basement area. It's on a what are those called? The radiator yeah radiator mm-hmm. yeah he's tied up to the radiator by a uh, pipe um, and i like when nicholas cage uh breaks the pipe and hits the biker over the head with it uh right before he says to the biker you are a vicious snowflake yeah i have no idea what that means i don't really know what it means either but i think it was kind of to poke fun so he kind of plays plays to his captor a little bit and i think why do you think they kept him alive still again Maybe they're getting off on the torture mm-hmm. of him. His captor takes a knife and he slits, kind of slices him on the chest. And Nicolas Cage responds by, You cut my shirt! <laughs> you cut my shirt! And then he, you know, proceeds to slash. But he gets this, I freaking forget which movie, but he kind of is, it, he gets inspira- yeah, insp- oh. inspiration from kind of another movie. And... I guess where he's looking around for possible other, like the other captors that, or the other bike gang members that could be in this house. And we kind of realize that these guys, these bikers have probably been squatting at some poor victim's home yeah, and that we see. <laughs> yeah, we see. And it doesn't look like uh, it ended too well for no. the guy. No. He got it in the end. <laughs> That's a good one. Well, it's. The reason why I say that, well, when Nicolas Cage stumbles on the, the one of the black skulls in the living room watching uh, vintage 80s porn, mm-hmm. and it's kind of dark. The lighting is really dark, but does does it get an erection? Oh, my God. I did not yeah. realize that yeah. that... Oh, my gosh. It, he gets an erection, and it's like a sharp metal. It looks just like a sharp metal object. And when he has Cage on the ground, that's what he's trying to stab him with. I did not realize this. Yes, he's trying to s- stab him, uh, you know, with his prick. While also doing copious amounts of it, cocaine. Coke or meth, yeah. yeah he's, he's just snorting Some it. white powder. So Nicolas Cage cuts the biker's throat, and Ooh. the blood just spurts out, and it gushes out and hits Cage in the face, and he just has this giddy little kid smile open on his mouth. face. Open mouth. Open mouth. His teeth are all red. It's, the, it's, a, it's a pretty disturbing shot. Like full mouth filled with blood and this is kind of a more ridiculous point when cage after beating these guys takes a little bit of that unknown white powder substance and just a huge scoop with broken glass straight up his little nostril well another kind of weird thing um he, he's kind of searching the house and he stumbles upon a, um, a jar of the liquid yeah. and he he drinks it <laughs> And he immediately, he gets, uh, it hits him immediately, whatever it is, the effect hits him immediately. And I wonder if it makes him kind of, Black Skull kind of makes him a little uh, more. I agree. Not the same as he used to be. Oh, I completely agree. He's losing a lot of the stable parts of his psyche through this process. Yeah, it is a cleansing. He almost has to go insane to yeah, cleanse himself. I agree. He's he's preparing himself for what he has, like the rest of this journey of revenge that he has to do. Because, I, th- I mean, you can't go back from to a normal life after avenging your wife, your dead wife. So Nicolas Cage stumbles upon the final biker, 
just having a leisurely evening at a, a burning car in the in the in the backyard. Enjoying a nice bonfire. Shoots him in the neck with an arrow. Oh! Biker pulls it out nonchalantly, and uh, they have themselves a, a little duel, a little fight with the scythe or the battle axe. I don't know anyone who can get stat like shot in the throat with an arrow and then just pull it out and continue to stand and then fight someone. And this is the first time we see Nicolas Cage wield the weapon that he made. And it's a great kill with the weapon. Uh, he ends up pushing the biker into the car, setting him on fire, and then cutting off his head while on fire. And then he proceeds to uh, light his cigarette on it. I absolutely love how the blood is... I mean, he just... It looks like he has a blood mask on It's for the rest of the movie, you know? It's dark. It's, it looks like it's caked on there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been drying a little bit. Uh, there's multiple layers <laughs> from uh, different victims. So Cage has managed to escape from the biker's house. He's managed to kill them all, and he's jumped on their four-wheeler, and he's heading somewhere. Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, he he kind of has the idea from his friend who gave him the heads up. So we see the chemist making a blotter sheet with LSD, but it's pretty intense because he's all up in it. Well, yeah, you would think it would seep, be seeping in through his, I mean, it his is. pores. I mean, he licks his fingers at one point, but it's got to be getting in. He seems to have some telepathy. Yeah. He's got some mind powers. He turns off the cassette tape by pointing at it. Kind of like he kind of has the force, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Turns off the cassette tape. When he turns around, uh, all the lights above Cage's head go on one at a time. Um, he's definitely on another plane. What do you? How would you explain the tiger? Well, the tiger's name is Lizzie, and he says, when she's calm, I know it's good. (laughs) So he tests out the LSD on the tiger. Oh, that's so messed up. Uh, The chemist, he can tell that Cage is is looking for someone, and he knows darn well who he's looking for. Uh, I think he calls them the children. And what about the children of dawn? That's what they were referred to as earlier, right? You are absolutely right. The children of the new dawn. Yeah, the children of the new dawn. And uh, he just says north and well, now, darn it, Cage knows exactly yeah. where they are. Yeah. He, he's gotten up north. So Nicholas Cage has found the temple of the Children of the New Dawn. And it looks like it's actually being constructed at the moment. Like, uh, it hasn't been there very long. Yeah, Fresh no. wood, a lot of wood around. Uh, this is a new thing. But Nicholas Cage has just now put um, out a trap for... I don't know, whomever he finds from this cult. And it turns out to be uh, Brother brother Swan and what is, Emma? Is that Lucy. Lucy. Brother uh-huh. Swan and Lucy. Brother Swan says something kind of disturbing to him uh, when uh, Cage kind of throws him down the ground. And uh, Brother Swan says, she burned brightly, Mandy. Oh. Still talking about the burning. Yeah. Still talking about the burning. So Nicolas Cage responds by taking the beast, his chrome super knife battle axe, and taking the the, the spear end, yeah, the of spear it. end, and just shoving it into Brother Swan's mouth, and just blood. It goes in far, all pretty yeah. much all the way. You can see it go right down his throat. Yeah, a lot of blood spewing out of his mouth. He leaves Lucy. I think she's more than just a brainwashed character. I, this, these are kind of moments where I feel 
like she's just a confused girl. Is that why you think Trapped. he is that why he lets her her live? I think so. I mean, I think I I think he saw it when Jeremiah made her play Russian roulette. Oh, that could have been why. Yeah, the Russian roulette I, scene because I kind of thought he was going to turn around and like just cut her head off in one swoop. Really? Kind of. I she was there. She was part of it. But you're right. The Russian roulette scene. He sees her as a, a victim as well yeah. of Jeremiah. I mean, even that scene, she was on. He Jeremiah goes, "Get on your knees. Show me you love me." Yeah, show me you love me. Get on your knees. So she's on her knees in front of Nicolas Cage while he's also being tied up and like forced to watch his wife. I don't know. I think he sees her as just a girl who hasn't really is just there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think, and she responds by just crying. So Nicolas Cage has come across kind of, would you say, a decent-sized chainsaw? <laughs> it's not super big, uh, but he comes a, a, upon a man. Uh, they never say this guy's name. He was in the van. He was there. He was the one holding the rope yeah. when they torched uh, Cage's Mandy wife. Up. But he pulls out this uh, this chainsaw that's about a yard, I don't know, how, how many feet would you say that Six chainsaw? Six feet tall. Six feet, do you think? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, he's the guy who's wielding it looks like a very tall man. It's obscenely long. It it seems to me too long, like so long that this is going to hold him back more than help him. Well, it does. It allows Cage to kind of get in and give him a slice in the yeah. ribs. When's the last time you've seen a good chainsaw fight? Chainsaw-y chainsaw. I think it was Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. Yeah, Nick uh, Dennis Hopper fights mm-hmm. Le- Leatherface. So during the fight, Cage knocks... Uh, the the huge chainsaw out of the big guy's hand. Uh, the chainsaw is still on, laying on the ground. And well, do you rem- do you remember how he gets rid of this guy? He grabs it. He grabs a chain, swings it over his head, wraps it around the guy's neck, and pulls him down straight on top of the huge ass chainsaw, spilling his guts all over the entire ground. Yeah, there's a bit of splatter in this movie, I'd say. So Cage has reach the temple and see the temple this shot shows the top of the temple and there's a cross and so those that's kind of iconography that makes me yeah Mm -hmm. that makes me kind of like what specifically does this cult believe other than jeremiah it's got to be some kind of twisted take on it though Mm -mm. ain't it always and they never get into it uh, in fact, uh, there is an altar in the temple, and Cage picks it up. up, up there's a book on it, but you, you never really catch a glimpse of, of what's in the book. Yeah. But he takes a look at it, and he puts it back. Then he makes his way through a hole in underground. So he comes across the creepy old lady. Uh, I don't like this woman. Who's there, and uh, well, basically, uh, she just immediately starts offering him sex. She says, uh, Jeremiah says, I am the most sensual lover. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of her sensitivity and her empathy. Well, I will tell you right now, she didn't seem too sympathetic or empathetic when she was dealing with Mandy earlier no, on in this movie. No, she didn't, especially when she was burning. Yeah. It makes me kind of think about how she got involved with Jeremiah and what she maybe meant to him earlier on in their relationship. It's almost like there could be to... like a comic book series of each character and how they kind of got involved like you could have Lucy's story, uh, you could have Swans. Like, who are these people? They're they're very different types of people. That's what I'm saying. I it, they're these are not just one dimensional characters. Like exactly what? How did they get here? What is making 
them do the things that they're doing now? What past experiences have led them to make the decisions and the like have the belief system and led them where they are now? I believe what Jeremiah holds a really big power over them and the constant drugging of the, yeah. the LSD, the mind-altering oh, LSD has, sure. has a lot to do with it. So Nicolas Cage has finally come to the end of his quest. He is face-to-face with Jeremiah. And we see Jeremiah as a, well, we see him kind of feeling up this dungeon room like wall he's rubbing it rubbing yeah <laughs> he's caressing it yeah only in his undies i will i will also mention tidy whities tidy whities yeah tidy whities but he well, feels... already, he already went full frontal yeah. so yeah exactly hey, what it's tidy whities i can handle <laughs> exactly but he feels something on the back of his leg and it was uh the old woman's severed head yes. that caged like just bowled in like a bowling ball oh yeah yeah we don't see what actually uh happens to her it kind of cuts uh away and he just kind of rolls mm-hmm. the creepy old lady's head mm-hmm. it's funny when when cage enters the room jeremiah turns around and just kind of casually says oh hi no i know uh and cage actually responds with an interesting interesting line uh he says psychotic drowns where the mystic swims you're drowning, I'm swimming. Now, what the heck does that mean? That's kind of where Cage's mind is right now, and I think that's where Jeremiah's mind was in the, the beginning and is now, too. I think it's like crazy talking it's to interesting. crazy. He does kind of say, Cage says, I before, uh, you know, he, he crushes Jeremiah's skull, his eyeballs pop out, and he crushes him, but he says, I am your God now. That's what Cage says. Oh, I love him. it. He's kind of went full circle. I love it because, like, look at Jeremiah. He goes through bargaining anything and everything he can in order to not die. Doesn't he go like, oh, I, he offers to suck, suck a Nicholas Cage's, to blow him, yeah, yeah, blow him, yeah. Mm-hmm. He says, I'll do anything, and then he, then he gets angry. Yeah, he actually says, no, yeah, no, I don't near, kneel before you. You kneel before me. Yeah, again, just deluded. And then Cage, I'm your god now, and just crushes his skull. So there is there is a moment for Nicolas Cage. He kind of is looking up, and he's breathing. And it's, I mean, there's a lot, I feel, of emotion that goes into, I have lost everything, and so all I have left is my revenge. And so I think there's a moment... I what's you know what's next? Well, there seems to be some catharsis. Yeah, not what next. Yeah, to Cage uh, after completing it's it's a definite quest. He's on a quest and he completes his quest. There is a catharsis for the character. He seems still uh, totally nuts, but yeah. uh, there is a catharsis. Uh, he responds by, and I think I relate to this as well. Why not just burn it all to the ground? Just like wipe it off, you know. But it's funny because in production. The, this entire wall and set is just in flames. But they say that it actually, they they were close to burning down an historic mark, like an historical place because of this scene. Like there, this was a close, this scene was a close call to actual fire issues. <laughs> yeah, Cage said he was actually just walking real slow yeah. through it and everyone else was running and screaming and telling them to call the fire department. Yeah. Cage said he goes, he felt really peaceful. Yes, he, was... he feels peaceful in times of, uh, times when people wouldn't. Yeah. I don't, I love, I love a good burning after, 
you know? It is, it's a cleansing. Yeah, yeah. Like they said, what, what they said about Mandy when they burn her. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of retribution, kind of what goes around comes around. What do you think he's going to do now? Do you have any idea? No. Is he going to be okay? Because no. I, I don't know. I... Has he lost it completely? Well, that's my point. Like, how can you go? You, how can you feel these such intense emotions of loss, and then these intense emotions of going against this loss through full blown, unhinged psycho revenge? What happens when it's over? That's what I'm saying. See, I feel like he's going to a place where he's never going to come back from. That's what, yeah. And it all started when he drank. Well, not all started, but drinking that jar probably didn't help very much. Oh, I think it started when he was in the bathroom oh. and he was guzzling down the vodka. I think that was like, all right, it's berserker mode. Yeah, it's kind of like a complete transformation. Mm-hmm. And when he finally uh, brings Jeremiah down, it's the transformation's complete. I don't know if I would describe it as sad, but he's driving home like, or wherever his next stop is from defeating the children of the new dawn. And he sees he sees his wife and we see him completely normal, like as if they were driving together in a normal day. And then it also pans to what he actually looks like, just covered in blood after a huge massacre huge open eyes, crazed eyes, a crazed smile on I his face. I call them cra- cage eyes. Cage eyes. They, uh, Yeah. But he drives off. Yeah. Into the sunset. And uh, in the sky, we see uh, a planet with moons. I, I mean, it leads me. Do we know what reality is this world in? They never say. Doesn't mm-hmm. appear to be. I don't know. No, I agree. It's This is. Okay, well, what is clear is it's not our world. It's not what we know. But everything that we've seen other than this strange... I think this is the first full, like, straightforward evidence that this is an alternate reality. Yeah, it's got to be. Because everything else in the movie, it it just seems a little off. Mm -hmm. But we don't have actual evidence of, like, oh, crap, we don't... That's not our sky. So, Mandy, I, I think it's just a beautifully constructed film from beginning to end. I love the format, uh, the three-act format, uh, the intro, uh, the conflict when they, you know, the, the, they burn her, and then uh, the third act when he just goes batshit crazy. And I, I, it's a beautiful film. It's uh, disturbing, but uh, it's, it's, not, it's actually not as disturbing as I thought it was going to be. It's kind of, I see it as a dark fantasy yeah. And uh, it's just definitely like a fantasy uh, film. Uh, I do call it a horror film, for sure. I, I do call it a horror. But yeah, it's just a really nice, uh, a dark fantasy quest. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's, it's disgustingly beautiful. I love that. Yeah, you're right. Because that's the thing about horror movies. There's so many different types and kinds. And I would say a dark fantasy horror psychedelic horror uh i completely agree this is panos cosmatos oh he has a vision and it's awesome i know he has a pretty it i just beautifully done i agree just really beautifully done I, you can tell that he's an artist and the medium he's chosen is movies and directing directing and writing he made this movie because he had a story to tell and this was a really, really cool story. Yeah, he had a definite vision, and uh, uh, the vision definitely comes out. 
So would you recommend uh, people to go check it out? Oh, absolutely. I think this is one of the better horror, very unique, one of the better and one of the more unique horror stories that I've seen. Totally deeper than a one-dimensional film and story. I think everyone should see it. Yeah, so definitely check it out. Now playing on Shudder. Yeah. And uh, well, that's about all I have. Jackie, it's been great. Yeah, hanging, thank you. Thank you for having you. me, Rick. <laughs> Go, going on this little trip with you. Yeah, I know. And uh, you guys take it easy out there, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, have a good one, guys, and thanks for listening.